the greater Baltimore area, the housing situation is dire. Even before COVID came on the scene, only three in 10 low-income renters could afford housing units. And now that COVID's happened, families have fewer assets and more are pushed to the brink of homelessness. The pandemic has meant that when folks have lost their income, they rely on their savings or other assets like credit. Now, they're tapped out. They're much more quickly pushed to the brink of homelessness. Hi, and welcome to Barrier Breakers, United Way of Central Maryland's podcast to help you be informed, be inspired, and be more. I'm your host, Leah Lovelace. An eviction tsunami is coming. As pandemic rent postponements end, what stands between thousands of tenants in Greater Baltimore and homelessness? I'm here with Dr. Scott Gopbrett, Associate Vice President for Homeless Services at United Way of Central Maryland. Scott recently led a discussion with local leaders who are laser focused on this critical issue. And in a little bit, we'll share some of the highlights from that. Scott, can you give us an overview of this crisis? Here's the situation in brief. The pandemic has caused millions of people to lose their incomes, and many of those have still not gotten back to work. When people have no income, they can't pay their bills, and the biggest bill that people have to pay is usually rent. Consequently, millions of households are behind on rent and will soon face eviction. Advocates have been sounding the warning sirens for months, but public and media attention to this issue have faded. I'm curious, Scott, why do you think people aren't paying as much attention to this issue? In part, this is because the courts have closed for the past five months due to the winter COVID spike. But now courts are reopening and evictions are resuming. There is supposedly a nationwide moratorium on evictions put in place by the CDC. But in practice, there are loopholes and many people are going to be evicted even before that moratorium ends on June 30th. Another important factor to consider is that while moratoria on evictions do keep people in their homes, they do not address the fact that people still owe the monthly rent. Many households now owe more than a year of back rent, and that can be somewhere in the range of ten dollars to $20,000 at this point. The discussion you led last month started with the panelists sharing a number they thought people should know. What's a number you want people to know? My number is 13. There have been 13 first days of the month since the pandemic began, meaning that someone who lost their job due to layoffs or due to having to stay home with school children might owe as much as 13 months of rent now. Wow, that is a huge amount of debt. But when you consider a two-bedroom apartment is about $1,500 a month, it's easy to see how that can add up quickly. Now let's cut to the panel discussion to hear more. Who's affected, the barriers they face trying to get assistance with back rent, and what needs to happen to help them? First off, we have Angela Whitaker. Angela is the Director of Baltimore City Community Action Partnership in the Mayor's Office of Children and Family Success. Angela's office has been handling the vast majority of eviction prevention efforts in Baltimore City. Angela, welcome. What's the number you want people to know? Hi, Scott. Um, My number is 8,406, and that's the number of applications that we've received from tenants seeking rental assistance since November. So in just four short months, we have uh, received applications from over 8,000 people saying that they are in danger of being evicted. Wow, that is a huge number. And um, if, if that, that's a huge number. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Uh, next up, we have Zafar Shah. 
Zephyr is a housing attorney at the Public Justice Center. Zephyr is also a policy expert who's been essential to debates in our state's capital about housing policy. Zephyr, welcome. What's a number you want people to know? My number is 24,000, which is the average number of eviction cases filed per month in the district courts of Maryland in November, December, January, and February. Wow. Uh, again, a very telling number. Thanks, Zephyr. Next up, we have Terry Hickey. Terry is the Deputy Director of the Office of Housing and Community Development at the Baltimore County Department of Health and Human Services. Terry is one of the most important government leaders working to address the pandemic housing crisis in Baltimore County. Welcome, Terry. What's your number? Thanks. Thanks for having me, Scott. Uh, so I thought about this a lot, and my number is 335. That uh, represents the number of households in the first 1,600 applicants we screened that were denied rental assistance because of a failure to respond. Uh, it sounds like a downer number, but the reason I bring it up now is because when we started calling those folks that had been non-responsive, we realized the depth of trauma and fear and suspicion that was out there that was preventing people from reaching out for help. And I think we really have to keep that in mind as we design our programs. Absolutely, great number. A lot of folks are in their turtle shell right now. They don't want to answer the phone. They don't want to answer the mail. They know it's going to be bad news and they don't want to respond. And that makes it hard for them to access them. Uh, last but not least, we have Jesse Keller. Jesse is a government and community affairs manager at the Maryland Multi-Housing Association. Her organization brings together property managers for collective action. And Jesse has been crucial to bringing landlords into conversations across the state about how to address the evictions crisis. Jesse, what's the number you want people to know? Hi, good afternoon. The number I would like everyone to know is 35.062, and that is the average percentage for delinquency rates at mid-month of those living in low-income communities that are not subsidized uh, with government tax credits. So since the pandemic, around 35% of residents in low-income communities have been delinquent each month at mid-month. Wow. So a third of poor renters are behind on rent. Um, those are some great data points to kick us off. We have been getting a lot of panicked calls at our 211 Maryland helpline from people who are unable to pay their rent. 211 has been an essential resource for people during COVID and it acts like a barometer of need in the region. We've assembled a montage of calls so that you can hear some of what we're hearing and how desperate the situation is becoming. Please note that the voices of the callers you're about to hear have been changed to protect their anonymity. 211 Maryland, this is Valerie, may I help you? Um, I'm in a panic and I have rent coming up and I'm worried. I just don't know what to do because I've been reading the new stimulus is coming out, but uh, I'm self-employed PUA, you know, so they said that there's no more, I'd have to like refile or something, but I don't know what to do. You know, so I knew if I got behind mm -hmm. in my rent, that I never, I would be so far that it would be like a kick out situation. And I've never been late. I'm a good tenant. Six years I've been here. And I, I was just like trying to um, get help through. I just, I had to like sell, you know, my stuff and my kids stuff to yeah. try to make ends meet. And so it's, you know, when I get $50, I have to see, like, okay, should I pay food, $50 yeah. for the lie or should I pay the $50 for, 
for the rent, but then I pay $50, and then by the time the bill's due, it has, like, another late fee, and then it's like I never pay them their $50. So it's like, you know, I have to, like, battle and feel like, oh, what's more important this month? Like, me keeping my life or, you know, like, you know, paying it towards my rent or my car insurance. Wow, that was really moving. I get choked up every time I hear clips of that video, and that's the actual voices of callers that are calling 211 in need of assistance right now. First question to you, Jesse, and then I'll ask Angela to comment. Please talk about the scale of the crisis from your perspective. Why should we be concerned and who is most affected? Jesse? Prior to COVID, Maryland had a very strong rental market with low vacancy rates and delinquency rates around 10%. And since the pandemic, we have seen those rates, uh, delinquency rates skyrocket um, at mid-month between 20 and 30 percent. And so this shows that the crisis is severely impacting our lower income residents, um, our residents who probably couldn't afford to stay home during COVID, who are still working, who are living in smaller um, living conditions compared to those who can um, properly social distance. There's definitely urgency in this problem that needs to be addressed sooner than later through innovative solutions. So our most vulnerable residents who are probably struggling prior to the pandemic and are even more vulnerable now can have the help that they need. Great, thanks, Jesse. Uh, Angela, I'm gonna turn it over to you for a comment. What is your perspective? Are we gonna see in a tsunami? What does the crisis look like? What's the scale of our current situation? When I think about the scale, um, first thing that comes to my mind is rapidly growing. Um, specifically for Baltimore City, as a city that was already impacted significantly by concentrated po um, poverty and economic disparity, what we're noticing is that the um, residents who were already struggling, who were already financially unstable, are significantly impacted by the pending eviction crises. Um, with a poverty rate of 21.8%, while the state's rate is 9.4%, then we know that we have a lot of work to do um, to address what can be potentially a tsunami. And just like everywhere else across America, we're noticing that Black and Brown residents are the most impacted by this um, pending eviction prevention crisis. Um, of the back rent that we've paid out so far, 81.4% have been paid out to those who identify as African-Americans and 9% um, have identified uh, as Hispanic. Just like the rest of the country, noticing that the Black and Brown community are impacted most, and we're not yet seeing a downtick and the uh, need for assistance, we are actually seeing an uptick. The CDC moratorium that we keep hearing gets extended at the federal level uh, is interpreted by the local courts as a defense that you can raise if you have effectively activated it. So in order for the CDC moratorium to apply to your household, you have to fill out a form and, and, and submit it to your landlord and you attest under penalty of perjury that you've done everything you can to pay the rent. But if you haven't submitted that form, the moratorium doesn't apply to you and you can still be uh, filed on for eviction and called to court. And it's then that you can raise this defense in court that you know you, for, you filed this form allowable by the CDC. Um, but the vast majority of tenants don't show up to their court appointments. They don't understand that they had to file um, that document. It doesn't apply to all households. It has eligibility requirements. Uh, and there are other loopholes that are around this nationwide moratorium, so to speak, is what they call it, but it's not really 
Uh, like a, a landlord can not renew your lease as opposed to evicting you for failure to pay rent. And so that's what we call the tenant holding over loophole, the non-renewal of lease. And that's an even more dangerous shift because if someone is being evicted for failure to pay rent at the last second, they can pay to stay. But if a lease is not being renewed, there's kind of no way out. And so now tenants are sort of just being locked out and shut out. Uh, and that's a consequence of this sort of patchwork of moratoriums. And there's massive mis misinformation about this across the country. And here in Maryland, people don't understand the moratorium. They don't understand how to implement it in their household. They don't understand if it applies to them. Uh, and so consequently, you know, households are being evicted. Terry, I want to turn it over to you on this question. What's changed in the past six months or if there's any part of um, what Zephyr said that you want to comment on? Over to you. There were 54,000 backlogged filed failure to pay rent cases in Baltimore County before the courts shut down. Gives you an idea of the, the hill they have to climb to start moving through these. Um, as providers, as local governments, we really have to be sensitive and flexible around understanding people waiting in lines for our programs right now or waiting in lines with providers are going to come up with court summons and they're going to come up with eviction notices. And has already been said, you have to take those court summonses seriously. There's no automatic moratorium where you don't have to go to court. And so putting lawyers in the courthouse, having referral lines to get legal assistance is gonna become more and more timely and important. We also have to have side doors in our programs. If people have an eviction notice, just like pre-pandemic, they have to have a direct line to a provider that can address uh, that eviction issue right then and there. We have to build our programs and run them so everyone can apply. And if there's an issue, we have to find a place to get you where you can get that help. Partnering with smaller local groups that have unrestricted money that's not even tied to COVID, we have to start talking to the churches. We have to start, I've seen neighborhoods taking up collections to help pay neighbors rent if it's an issue. And we have to all be talking to each other. Who aren't we seeing in the list of people that are applying? At some point, I, I only partly joke, we need people with sandwich board signs outside of courthouses and other places saying, if you've got an issue with your rent to utilities, come talk to me because we're going to miss people. And again, we have to keep removing barriers for applying for this money. So uh, I'm gonna turn that over to Angela now. Angela, the courts are reopening, evictions are resuming, money's coming online. What do you expect in the next two to three months? We have received in a short amount of time over 8,000 um, applications. We are definitely looking to see that increase, um, just knowing that the impacts, the financial impacts are going to be long term, even as individuals get back to work. It's going to be very difficult for those who were already suffering financially to even have capacity to get caught up on six or 12 months of rent. So we're preparing for um, a significant long-term financial impacts and the long-term need for eviction prevention. So um, over to you, Zephyr, I wanted to ask this question again. What do you see in the near term following up on what Angela said? I, I just want to give an example of how I see this playing out more and more. On afternoon last Thursday, I was given a case, uh, a woman who had been furloughed from work she had luckily been able to get some pandemic unemployment uh, with the help of her employer, but she did not know about the CDC declaration process. She didn't know that she was eligible for emergency rental assistance. And so when she called P Public Justice Center on Thursday, she was calling about a pending actual eviction scheduled for this Monday. Um, and so we had one business day to uh, get her 
into the emergency rental assistance process so that she could then be eligible to use the CDC declaration so that we could then send that to the landlord so that we could then uh, file a motion, emergency motion to cancel the eviction and for a new trial uh, so that she could raise that CDC order as a defense to eviction. Um, that all had to happen in a, one business day to avoid a certain eviction on a Monday. Um, and that's the kind of thing I, I think that we're going to increasingly see, right? People just don't know about the protection. They don't know about the avail availability of these important funds. And yet the, the machinery, uh, this court procedure, these actions are continuing. So the, the more litigation we see uh, over the next month, two, three months, the, uh, I think the, the more serious uh, challenge we have as service providers to be able to really just turn on a dime and, and make sure people um, are able to get assistance before the sheriff is executing a warrant. Uh, and, and just re just remember that once there is a, a judgment and an order for, for eviction, there's very little discretion that anyone has um, to, to raise these protections uh, you know, as the sheriff is going out there to, to, to execute. So my last question is what needs to be done? Simply put, how are we going to get a handle on this overwhelming crisis? And Terry, I'll start with you on this one, and then I'll go back to Jesse for a response. Terry? We have to remember that the problems were always much deeper, and they're still deeper. We, we, every day we spend screening people for the COVID impact that led to their problem, but a lot of these issues are, are tied to things that were existing before COVID. So as we move through the pandemic, you know, I, I talk to our health department colleagues and say, you know, you had testing, you had vaccinations as this pinnacle. What we're here to do hasn't even hit yet. You know, our version of vaccination is really still coming. And we have to be very intentional, as I know a lot of jurisdictions are, about starting to connect the financial support to the deeper end. What if there's just no way you're going to be able to stay in your house? What if there has to be relocation, housing navigation? Um, how can we provide everything from shelter, which has to be an option, to really quick shelter diversions and rapid rehousing? How do we build systems that address the issues that predate the pandemic, that have been laid bare during the pandemic, so that they outlive the pandemic? Great, thanks so much, Terry. And Jesse, what is your solution to the worst housing crisis in a century? Uh, you have 60 seconds, go. Sure. Uh, well, uh, unprecedented crises calls for, call for unprecedented solutions. This is such an exciting opportunity in times. So you have people who have worked together, who have never worked together before uh, for new solutions. You know, um, the General Assembly session has ended and you know, unfortunately we can't legislate our way out of this crisis right now. We, we need to be focusing on innovative programs and opportunities and identifying those residents who are who are being missed and, and where we can help those who still need it the most. All these funding streams have caveats and, and conditions tied to them and eligibility requirements. Um, what's especially important in all of this is having flexible, in, in, in our context, charity and donation dollars that are unrestricted, that can fill the gaps and glue everything together. Because when you have big government money, you know, it, it can be slow sometimes and there can be red tape and blind spots. And it's those charity dollars, those donations uh, that really make a difference and allow us to plug the gaps. And that's a wrap on this episode of Barrier Breakers. You can help tenants on the brink of eviction by supporting United Way's work to make sure that everyone has a place to call home. 
visit uwcm.org slash housing fund. As always, thank you for joining us and be sure to catch our next episodes. Today's episode was developed by the United Way of Central Maryland's marketing team. All production of music was created and edited by Trevor Ferkler. You can find our other podcasts at uwcn.org backslash podcast and wherever you listen.